artists, unpaid interns. You're listening to Art Pros Podcast. <laughs> Now recording. It's kind of like a double. It's kind of like a double entendre. What's a double entendre? Like a uh, a phrase that means two things. Like art pros can sound like professionals and pros as in writing. Oh, that's interesting. A double entendre. It's 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 French entendre. Oh, how most okay. People say it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Art hacks. Then. I like art hacks. Yeah, art hacks is a good one. Welcome to Art Hacks. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. You have just experienced a real-time workshopping session, the tail end of it. Um, really, in real time, you just heard us name this new particular segment that Gage has thought up through minutes and minutes of research. I'm talking about at least 15. So, welcome. Welcome to the very first Art Hacks episode. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, art hacks like it's like hacks like hacking, but also maybe we're just hacks. Yeah, maybe. So today's episode is going to be a little different, but a little bit of the same. We are going to give you some tried and true art perspective, art advice for you interns out there who just want to become better at your craft, who want to expand the way that you think about your work. The art hack series is going to be a little bit more directed. Um, and we're just gonna, we're gonna use our professional, our high level art education to bring you the best tips and tricks, the best cheat codes to bring your art to that next fucking level. Let's go. Why don't you up, down, up, down, left, right, start, select all the way to your nearest Spotify and listen to all of them. Listen, this is going to be like the mother load of, of art advice that we're giving oh, yeah. you. Maximum gain. So we're, we're doing shorter episodes. We're going to try it out. We'll see what you guys think so that um, you don't have to sift through all of the banter, all of the, the highly curated banter we do for you guys, art hacks. So let's get to it. Craig, uh, can you tell Renz what today's episode is? Craig, I'm listening. Now recording. All right. So um, today for our art hacks episode, we're talking a little bit about I guess you could start it out by introducing it as perspective, because what we're really going into now is how to shift your point of focus to your concept, your art, your content. So I guess let's just get started. What what do you think, Gage? This was this was quite honestly your great and brilliant idea for a topic. How did you come up with this thought you think this is important for our listeners to well, know well i want to distinguish first of all the point of focus and the point of view um so the point of view is basically when you're creating an artwork you want to design that artwork with an intended viewer which we've talked about in the past and then you want to direct that intended viewer to the point of focus so one really powerful tool that i think some artists don't necessarily overlook but don't really give a lot of thought to is the point of view in relationship to the point of focus, right? So for example, in a painting, one example that I've thought of in terms of point of view is are you, when you're designing this painting or this object, imagining someone looking through a window into another reality? Are you imagining someone as a specific character who has to have a feeling about something that's going on in someone who's more of a voyeur, 
a non-participant, right? So that's, that's kind of the starting point when you're creating an object, what sort of point of view do you want to develop in order to get them to focus on that specific point of focus and all done in one way or another through perspective? Yes. So let's talk about somebody that um, many people may be familiar with this, this name. The name is Edward Hopper. And I'm using that as the example because it's the first name that popped in my head when I started thinking about paintings that represent point of view and point of focus uh, fairly well. Edward Hopper is known for that painting. I'm going to describe it. It's called Nighthawks. It is the painting of a diner. And they're in, it, it, it's a lot of green and reds. There's The inside of the diner is yellow. And in the diner, there's four people, the the server or the chef. I'm not sure who it is. There's a man with a hat sitting with his back towards the viewer. And there's a presumably a couple, a lady and a guy. A guy also has a hat. The lady's wearing a dress. Maybe they just, I don't know, came back from the movies, watched the feature film. But the, the streets are empty. And the point of view here, I think, is strong. Because I feel like I'm walking down the street and I'm turning to my right at this empty, empty-ish diner. Is this is this the middle of the night? Feels like it. Um, there's a tone. There's an emotion that's being evoked in this painting, and I think that it's successful at that at describing this 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 feeling in a painting. And the point of focus is the people inside. I think to me, uh, because. Because of the way people are sitting in there, the way they're interacting with each other, there's a lot of subtlety in this. And that's just Edward Hopper's version. That's just Edward Hopper's way of conveying a point of view and a point of focus. There's certainly many ways to do that. You can get wild and crazy. Like, let's let's think of another common name. Um, what about uh, Damien Hirst? What about Damien Hirst's point of view and focus of his outlandish art of of oh my goodness i'm gonna bejewel a skull in in a lot of diamonds expensive stuff oh i'm gonna put a a shark in a tank filled with formaldehyde because i want to represent this thing i want to represent death and materialism right so there's that's that's another way to do that what do you think about that gauge well, I'd like to go back to Nighthawks um, for a second. So Nighthawks is a painting that many people are really familiar with. Renz described it as the it's a diner scene and you're outside of the diner looking through the glass inside. And the interesting part of the point of view for that painting is that the it's painted pretty realistically, reasonably realistic. And the actual eye level of the painting, if you were a character seeing that, would be average height. So Edward Hopper in that painting took into account that he wants the point of view to be a voyeur, an observer that's actually in that space. Now, if you compare that to Damien Hirst, who's more sculptural, he creates objects like, you know, a bejeweled skull to be like, hey, fuck you, look how rich I am. You know, it's it's platinum, it's covered in diamonds. I would imagine that his intended viewer would be one of two people, uh, something someone really wealthy who wants to flex their wealth and buy a nine million dollar object that is essentially a, a paperweight kind of like a cause figurine or 
people who go to art museums to view art that they could never in their lives afford and to laugh at them or to cause them to reflect as to whether or not art really should be so valuable and like how come the value of art is not so dependent on the materials but more dependent on the person who made it or what it looks like and and that intended point of view is really more how do you imagine people are going to respond to your art object it's not about specifically defining a perspective of where you're seeing something from or who are you in the narrative of the art piece and it's it's more about having you respond as the actual viewer so damien hurst is more about the audience and not about the scene well said very well said it gets kind of complex once it gets into a little bit more of a conceptual realm right i think another interesting artist to think about is well what's his name anish kapoor anish kapoor do you want to explain some of his art pieces real quick anish kapoor's art is i i would describe it as uh i guess sensationalism i haven't read much about him but just from looking at it his art is is representing something that's larger than life um what's his name it's james Turrell, right yeah james Turrell is probably the one of the best examples of that type of art because the man bought his own mountain just to make an art piece with it (laughs) so that's definitely sensational that is larger than life or at least representational of that like this art is bigger than than us you know for those of you who who are hearing these names, you're like familiar with it. Anish Kapoor did the bean in Chicago, the the big reflective bean that all the all the cool visitors take pictures in front of, you know, because they can get a picture of themselves on some artwork. But it's pretty sensational because it's a it's a small object that ends up capturing the entire Chicago skyline in it. So many people might say that these artists are concerned with light and space as James Turrell is definitely concerned with that. Anish Kapoor has his own little way of representing, representing that phenomena, I guess, by, by showing you something that might visibly feel impossible to see, if not for the brilliant mind of Anish Kapoor, which is why he bought Vanta Black, the blackest material, the darkest material. <laughs> that has ever been created by man he wants you to see something that you might never see you might never feel this if you had not stumbled across his his work a lot of it is mm, i take it back not a lot of it some of it is public artwork but a lot of it is definitely can be described as incredible right like i'm not saying that because i'm a huge fan of his work i think his work is really interesting but that's just what it feels like he's trying to to convey to you. He has this art piece that we've talked about before. It is like a a big hole in the ground and water is just pouring in there. And he has work that deals with mirrors where he, he installs it in such a way that uh, its positioning makes you feel like there's a something cut out of the sky. It's, it's a little bit of what, what the bean in Chicago does. But that one is, has a sense of scale that that's unique to it. So so, it's very simple work. Um, it's grand in scale, and and the themes it expresses are focused on the senses primarily. 
Now, let's talk about another person that's also grandiose in their work. Um, what's his name? Jeff Koons. We talk about Jeff a lot. I think I think it's important to to bring him into this topic too because we talk. He does about the giant so balloon animal dogs. Yeah. So he does that. That's his way of showing his his larger than life. Because art, art, one of the fun things about art is it 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 can be something that you've never seen before. Some people like to make art like that, um, and that's 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 another fun approach. I think a lot of people would love for their art for someone to say, "Wow, I've never seen something like this before." You know, that's that's so, that. What's up? You 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 have to keep in mind in terms that that these artists, Anish Kapoor and Jeff Koons. Um, they, their work tends to, to cause viewers to feel smaller than they are, feel like they have less agency or to take into account the scale of the world around them. Um, you know, part of this is due to the, the, how almost impossible seeing some of their work, like how impossible it feels to make, like, oh my God, how do they make that? It's so big. It looks so expensive. And part of that is the literal scale of it. And and that's another you know point of view trick is to for example you have this the Skygate the Bean in Chicago that when you look at it it's not really that big it's like maybe a little bit bigger than a van but it reflects the entire skyline of Chicago and reminds you of how small you are and that's a point of view right you you get pulled from from feeling you know fucking big in your britches to feeling literally minuscule. Right. And I think Jeff Koons is a giant balloon dog. You know, when you see a, a balloon animal, it's normally hand size, but it's enormous. So you look at it and you're immediately scaled down. Your point of view is to be smaller than this balloon dog, which reflects in the world around you. Hmm. You know, I just pulled up an article. The bean's actually very big, it's a lot bigger than a van. It's 10 meters high. And the, this article says um, the bean is hollow and there's a workspace inside. Oh, shit. What? Really? Whoa. It is. Uh, I mean, it, it. I feel like it's obvious that it's hollow because like that, that's a lot of metal. Where's the workspace? I think I just got clickbaited, dude. Cloud gate. The interior of the bean is largely wooden. All right, all right. I, I don't. I'm not trying to get too much off topic, but um, I think um, another another consideration for what we were talking about. It's important to note art with a political message too. That's that's very important for point point of view, right? Like like Kara Walker's art with the cutouts and the giant sphinx, or Kehinde Wiley's paintings. Or, 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 and portraits. Amy Sherald's portraits. They're representative of a culture of people. That is, that's a really great way to express point of view in art. You're not pigeonholed into one thing. And what we're trying to tell everybody is to just pay attention to that because it's important. And it is a, a, a really, really intrinsic thing about making art. It's not. I don't think it's possible to to make a piece of art without having a, a a portion of you as a person represented in what you make. I mean, maybe minimalism could argue against that, but 
I mean, these I can tell that these people want to make simple art. So that's not a choice. It's not an end game for art. It still represents something about the artist. Tells me that they want to make art that that's that's you know clean that doesn't look like it was affected by the human hand that looks like it just appeared out of nowhere because it's so minimal whoa that's all we're trying to say when you make art there's going to be a piece of you in it so embrace it and understand that that will represent your point of view so kahinde wiley does uh really large portraits of black people in essentially streetwear or like like, I don't know, like 90s hip hop uh, clothing. And he depicts them in like pretty classical European portrait style. So he has one of a dude in like a fucking straight cap on like a big horse looking like the famous Napoleon Bonaparte painting. And he makes, they're huge. And he, his intended place of display is in a museum that would have you know 50 years ago been showing the original versions of those paintings so that's like the intended point of view is for you to to draw a comparison between this uh uplifting portrait of someone that most of media at the time wasn't really casting a great light on and then comparing it to you know european portraits which you know napoleon bonaparte was an imperialist pig but that painting makes him look almost godlike and that's a point of view and you know some of the ways that you can uh control the point of view is number one your intended space of display for an art piece and number two the scale of the work number three the actual visuals of it so if we go back to the edward hopper example you know you as a viewer, when you look at that object, you kind of feel like you're in the street scene looking through the window, whereas Kande Wiley's intended viewer, the point of view is that you're looking at the actual painting as an object. It's not a window into the painting, but it's the painting itself that matters. Um, and, I, and I really want to clarify that in, in my opinion, like point of view can be different from the concept of the actual art piece it's all about where you want the viewer to feel that they fit in. So like someone like Kara Walker, who does silhouettes of like, like minstrel show inspired silhouettes kind of wants you to look at this like terrible, these like terrible kind of slave scenes uh, with like a point of candor, you know, kind of finding it like interesting and it's a little lighthearted, but it's a very serious content and it's on the wall. It's, it's just black silhouettes on a white gallery wall. You know, and it's your the intended point of view is you in the clean wide space of the gallery. So it's about understanding how to um, how to use the the content that you're interested in combining to to finish your art piece, right? So the example that Gage made is the paper cutouts. The paper cutouts are black paper; they're more or less life size, if not life size. And they're intricate. Like Gage said, they, the, the scenes might be lighthearted. But those two pieces of content, which is, one, the story that is being represented by, number two, the paper, the color of the paper that is being used to represent these stories, they all have a conceptual 
um, spirit behind them. They have a conceptual um, thought that integrates all of these facets, content and concept, to represent her art, the final piece, if you will. And that just goes to show how how simple it can really be once you sit down, you do your notes, you define, find out who you are as an artist, find out what mediums you like to use that that you can make your content with, and then maybe infuse a little bit of concept, something that you're interested in, whatever it might be. It could be you maybe you like bananas and then maybe you have some sort of cultural ties to the place these bananas were grown and then maybe you do some research about what it is about these bananas like you you can't stop you can't stop thinking about making art about bananas you can't tape it to the wall it's already been done that's somebody else's vibe that's somebody else's thing but maybe you're really good at skateboarding. Maybe you do a sculpture of a guy ollieing over a banana. What does that mean to you? I'm just making this stuff up off the top of my head. But but even with that silly example, there could be some, some meaning in there. It's not a great one. But that just means I need to practice. I need to practice my my ability to represent my point of view accurately. And... I guess that's a little bit of my point of view. I'm a, I'm a silly guy. I like to make, I like to laugh. I like for people to, to enjoy things that if I make it, I want people to be able to laugh at it as well as think deeply about it. Yeah, and, and if you're going to make art about a banana, um, I think it's important that when you're making the actual art object to decide where you want the viewer in relationship to the banana. Are you going to do a painting of a tropical scene where the banana's on the tree and it's really about making someone feel like they could almost reach out and grab that banana? Or do you want to have someone have the point of view where they observe the banana as an object? So like you ollie over the banana and that causes the viewer to think about the banana itself. Or do you want to have someone literally see a banana, you know, giant, they, you want them to notice the brown spots. You want them to really think about the banana that way. And you up the scale of your of your sculpture of a banana. You do a giant banana so that people can really think about the form of the banana. Like like playing with point of view can can have it so that the content that's inside of your object, just just a change in point of view, a small painting of a banana to scale reminds someone of their bananas at home. A giant painting of a banana that's ten times scale is going to have someone think about the banana itself here's one here's a 10 million dollar art installation idea gauge same thing same theme but with a maximalist point of view so i want this to be installed in a museum with a high ceiling with good lighting right as you enter so the whatever wherever this is going to be installed i got 10 million bucks i could make any demands i want i want this to be in a big room and I want to have a sculpture of a man in a suit with a suitcase, large scale, maybe 10 times bigger than a human, suspended from the ceiling, doing a 360 flip. And then, <laughs> and then you have a banana, and he's 360 flipping over the banana using big crates as a ramp. And you walk in, and you got to look up at this man in a business suit holding holding a briefcase, doing a 360 flip, and you look down and he's, he's ollieing over a, a pile of bananas. I love that. 
that's a fucking million, million dollar, $10 million dollar art piece. Yeah, I got so a good idea. That's the point of view right there. You're looking yeah. up at this man, 360, 360 flipping. Like, why is this man wearing a suit? Is he a businessman? Is he? What does that mean? That's concept. That's rich in concept right there, filled with B vitamins. Now, here's how I would I would do the same exact idea with a completely different uh, art piece, right? So I'd use the same museum, same high ceiling, same great lighting, and I'd, I, what I would do is I would have this installed right at the front door. The front door is just blocked by bananas so as to make it seem <laughs> like there's so many bananas in the museum, not even space to walk into it. Like literally stuffed with bananas. You can't see anything through it. It's just a giant pile of bananas at the front door. All the windows have bananas there, so it just looks like the most maximum amount of banana to the extreme and it get, really gives the feeling of that entire space being being completely occupied making someone feel as small as cloudgate does to me a, but with a bananas museum filled with bananas yeah to the extreme i mean what what does a banana cost like 25 cents yeah. 10 million dollars worth of bananas i could at least make it feel seem like that's 40 million bananas yeah, it would make it seem like it's filled with bananas. You just have to block the windows, have it coming out. Almost like when you put on jeans that are too tight and you got that little muffin top. I want to do that with bananas to a museum. <laughs> it's falling out the windows. You see piles of bananas outside open windows. It's just, exactly. It's not even it's it's more than full. It's it's spilling out. How do you get in? You can't get in. You gotta view it from the outside. You gotta view it, you gotta imagine that this museum, there's no one in there. They're all suffocating because of the bananas. Yeah, maybe one hand, one hand trying to reach out of the bananas. (laughs) Some feet out sticking outside the door. Yeah, exactly. Like the Wicked Witch style. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, we're at half hour now. Yeah, I think that was a great episode. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, maybe. Look, I guess people could send us some some messages if if they want to get more info, but that's all we have for that's all the time we got for now. Check out uh our art news coming up soon. We love you guys. Oh yeah, we're mixing it up. We're mixing it up. We're throwing all the wrenches into the system. <laughs> we're going bananas. Yeah. We're going Remember when Kanye West said he's going gorilla? Yeah. I do remember that. And then people were like, oh my god, what is he talking? Why why is he saying that? And then it became racial. Yeah, I remember that.